Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. When we saw the Strictly Celebs perform for the first time, Gary Lineker said that he'd take a pay cut from the BBC and Emma Willis prepared to put a group of strangers into a new series of The Circle. This is Series Linked with me, Emma Bullymore from the TV Times and Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. This is Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Coming up, we'll be chatting with the very funny Nish Kumar about the latest series of The Mash Report. Plus, bodyguards Nina Toussaint-White will share her box set to watch before you die. But first, Jeffers, let's talk about some drama, starting with a new BBC One Sunday night series called World on Fire. This is about World War Two. Set it up a little bit for us. Yeah, it's a bit of an unusual one. It's not all sort of about your bombs and tanks and that. It starts in Manchester just before the start of the war in 1939. And it's kind of trying to pick on a family's emotions and how they come into the war and the impact the war has on them. And it then sort of branches out and, and we go to different countries. We go to the Polish-German border. But it's very much about relationships. There's a young girl called Lois and she's got a boyfriend in Manchester. That's a translator called Harry. Harry ends up being the sort of central piece. He then goes abroad to work during the war. He's got another girlfriend whilst he's on the Polish-German border. And it kind of all centres around him and sort of relationships he has. And then the war starts and it, it becomes a bit more of a traditional war drama then. But it's kind of about families and how they're affected by the start of the Second World War. It's different. I wasn't sure whether it was one for me. It's another period drama, which aren't really my thing. What What did you think about it? Well, it's quite a hard sell, I think, a drama about the Second World War. We've seen so many of them and some that have been done really, really well. So I think, you know, when the capture's on and Strictly's on and it's quite busy at the moment, it's, it's a bit of a difficult thing to make people watch it. I quite liked it. I, there's definitely things about it that I did like, but I don't like it when they try and put really woke characters into something that was set a long time ago is it feels so anachronistic to me. Helen Hunt is in it as this reporter and she's right on it. And I, I'm not really sure if female war correspondents existed at that time. Maybe they did, but I'm also not sure if they'd have that much power and influence. It's, it feels a bit odd. Uh, and she's going around basically foreseeing the war and telling everyone, you know, you've got to get out because it's about to all go off. So I wasn't really quite sure about that. Sean Bean is in it and Sean Bean is great. Apparently, he said to the BBC, do I die in this one? Because obviously he dies and everything. And, you know, he, he got his reassurances one way or another on that one. And I think 
think they're trying to get a slightly younger audience with this. The the female protagonist is a bit sort of ballsier than you would usually have, perhaps, and he's a bit wet. The the guy that she's had a relationship with. Leslie Manville's in it as well. She's great. But all of this is me trying to sort of amp myself up to like it. There are bits about it that are good. I think it's beautifully made. It looks good on screen. But I just, meh, I don't know. I, I can't really bring myself to be that enthusiastic about it. What I will say about this is they've got really big hopes for this. The guys that make this mammoth screen, it's, it's set in 1939 and the whole series is only going to be in that one year. There was talk at the launch that hopefully maybe there could be a second, a third, a fourth series. So they've really got this, you know, high hopes and in the hope that it could be a long-term thing. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm a bit on the fence with it. Leslie Manville's character, uh, Rabina, she's the mother of the translated guy, Harry, who's kind of the heartthrob and has got all the women throwing themselves at him. Leslie's got some great lines, some really cutting lines. Maggie to, Smith Downton style. Exactly singers. that, yeah. To this young girl in Manchester who's kind of pining for Harry when he goes off to war. Leslie really cuts her down to size. They've got some great scenes. Sean Bean's scenes, they exist entirely in the kitchen, really. He made a joke <laughs> about that at the launch as well. He's a pacifist. He was in the First World War and now hates war and is all about peace. He's got some of the effects of war. He, shell shock. Yeah, he's got shell shock. And so he's basically uh, re resigned to the kitchen for the whole war and looks very nervy and so it's a bit of a different role for him and again a good role so there are there are some high points I think Leslie and Sean are good Helen Hunt as you say is this big larger than life character how realistic that is I think we're both on the same lines and we're not sure so there is potential the first episode didn't start with me thinking wow I've got to watch the rest of this I thought this is okay but it's an, yet another period drama for me and I tend to give them a miss and, and not bother well, yeah, I, let's talk about something very different, but it's a, well, it's not really a drama, comedy drama, back on ITV for a ninth series. Friend of the podcast, Martin Clunes, is back with Doc Martin. What do you make of Doc Martin? Do you think it's still holding up? I mean, I don't watch it every week, but it seems to be, if you like it, it you know, it's like Ron Silvanish. It does exactly what it says on the tin, doesn't it? I mean, if you like Doc Martin, you're going to like this. There's a bit of danger for him. His career's in the balance. He's got someone coming to scrutinise his work. There's a new character in that sense. And there's a bit of humour in the way that he tries to sort of brush her off. There's possibly the worst date I've ever seen on TV in this first episode, <laughs> which I found quite amusing. There's also some pretty hammy acting, I think, when one of the accidents happens towards the end and they're sort of like people being spiked in the arm, people being electrocuted. It's, it's sort of a bit Laurel and Hardy for 30 seconds. But I mean, it does what it's supposed to. And I, I think people will like it. What do you think? It's kind of like an uncool Sherlock in that Doc Martin is like Sherlock, that he is an expert. He knows everything. He's rude to people, but he gets away with it because he's so brilliant. But it's set in Cornwall. And that's nice. I find it, I hate to use the word guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilt about anything I watch on TV, actually. It is a bit like that. And as much as I find it irresistible and I can't really tell you why, I can see why people sort of roll their eyes at it. But I think Caroline Katz is really good in it. I like the relationship between the two of them. I think it's actually quite unusual as a romantic relationship on screen. And then you've got these casts of characters. I mean, Joe Absalom's really good in it. And we've seen him in a confession being so chilling and awful. And, and then it's nice to see him back as Al in this. I just think for those kinds of shows, I think it's 10 times better than Heartbeat ever was or, you know, a lot of those kind of staple ITV dramas. I think it's it's good uh, and doesn't necessarily get the credit it deserves. No, it shouldn't get BAFTA, but I think it is quite good telly. I think it's just going to carry on sailing along, you know, if they, if for a couple more series easily if they can keep everyone on board. And, and they love it. 
And as you say, Joe Absalom is very decent as the pub landlord. You've got this situation where he's going to be on screen twice a week uh, for a few weeks on ITV. Once as this horrific serial killer in a <laughs> confession. And then this sort of slightly ditzy landlord <laughs> who's sort of in a new relationship on there. So it's, it's quite a funny setup for him. But yeah, I, th- I think it's perfectly acceptable stuff. I don't think us talking about it's going to get many new viewers, but I think all the old ones will be coming back. Right, time for a guest now. Jefferson and I were up in Edinburgh recently for the TV festival and we went on a little series link day trip to go and see some comedy. And one of the funniest shows we saw up there was Nish Kumar. It absolutely blew us away. His stand-up was incredible. So we thought, right, we've got to get him on the podcast. The MASH report is back, which we love. So here we go. Here's our interview with Nish. We're both massive fans of the MASH report. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks very much. When you first started doing it, did you kind of know that it was instantly going to work? Because there's lots of late night shows, lots of no, satirical shows that maybe don't quite hit. No, we thought the absolute complete opposite. We did a pilot, which we assumed wouldn't get picked up. Thought it was pretty good and everyone was really happy with it. But we we were sort of pitted directly against two other pilots. There was this weird thing where the BBC said that they wanted to do a late night style comedy sketch, something between SNL and The Daily Show or whatever it was. And so they commissioned three pilots and we were one of three and we were basically the last one to get organized (laughs) and so we had a sort of untested production team and a host who was considerably less famous than everyone else from the other two shows and so we basically assumed that we wouldn't get it and everyone's sort of attitude was just like well let's just have a good time with this the nature of this business is that you have to be committed to just doing a pilot and trying to make it really good and not worry too much about whether it gets picked up or not and just have the work be the thing. And so everybody walked away from the pilot was like, well, that was good. And I just sort of was like, cool, well, I guess I'll never see any of you again. Much to everyone's shock, it got picked up. And then we were picked up for 10 and we did four in the summer and just assumed we'd get cancelled after those four. So the fact that we're still here blows my mind. It absolutely no one is more surprised <laughs> at the continued existence of this show than me. And th- does it feel more settled now? So are we, are we on the third series now, is it? Yeah, we're t- because we did four blocks. We're sort of it's. I think sometimes people find it confusing, but we're on series three. It, it, yeah, it does. I mean, we're sort of you know we fly by the seat of our pants in terms of whether we come back or not. But the team is very settled, and there's a really nice group of people that work on it, and everybody's just sort of committed to trying to make the best show that we possibly can. It's nice. Everybody's just trying really hard, which is good. And you're politically engaged anyway. Your stand-up is quite political, but it's changing so fast. I mean, is it a bit of a nightmare? This series has been the trickiest. Easily, this series has been the trickiest. Everything is happening. And also, nothing is happening. (laughs) Like, I I know everything is happening and there's this constantly, this sense of like, oh my God. But actually, (laughs) two years ago, we triggered Article 50 And so we were heading towards a deadline at which we had to leave the European Union and we didn't have a withdrawal agreement passed and we had a semi-divisive Conservative Prime Minister. Now, be honest, what has changed? (laughs) Like, what has actually substantively changed in that time? All that's happened is that the clock has ticked down a little bit. But yeah, it is, things are moving at a hell of a pace, which is fun and really exciting. And we were encouraged by the BBC to sort of try and be as topical as possible and especially the bits of the show that I am directly responsible for the sort of monologue elements of it 
we are, you know, our remit is to stay as up to the minute as possible. And so, you know, we're writing right up until, I mean, I, I say that, we write right up until The Wire. Then in episode two, Tom Neenan, who's the co-head writer of the show, was writing jokes in the control room during the recording because Operation Yellowhammer got published during the recording. My God. So it was, it was literally happening as it was all unfolding. But is that great or is that really painful when it's sort of that last minute? It's quite exciting. There is quite a sort of adrenaline rush to it in those moments. But at the same time, the my temples are going greyer <laughs> <laughs> week by week. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's both scary and exciting. When we saw you in Edinburgh, people were whooping almost like it was a political rally. Like, yes, Nish, yes. Do you feel, is it cathartic? Do you feel, I can change the world? Or for you, is it just, I'm a comedian, this is comedy? I think it's cathartic. I don't believe that I'm changing the world necessarily, especially in, the, in my stand-up. The kind of people that come out to watch me, there's about 5% political divergence in the room, really. But I do think it's cathartic. Somebody asked me if I found it difficult to do the stand-up that I was doing earlier in this year, which was quite angry. And, and they, they said, do you find it stressful to have to go through that sort of anger constantly? And I was sort of saying, no, I find it cathartic. And I feel the experience of doing it is quite cathartic. I think it is important for people to sit in a room and be reminded that they're not alone at the moment. You know, the, the, the audience that my stand-up is aimed at, the sort of hand-wringing, liberal guardian munchers are going through a rough time and so i do feel there is some pressure on me to give them some relief from that with the mash report it is slightly different i think because it's on the bbc and in spite of what you may have read in several right-wing newspapers we do try and have some concession towards balance and it is a bbc show and we do try and make some kind of an effort to sort of represent other points of view and who's the kind of favourite person that you, you like to do material about? Presumably people that in real life you don't like, someone like Trump or Boris? Well, the thing is, there's a part of me that would much rather be, you know, <laughs> every show, I want everyone to know that I would much rather be talking about climate change at any point, because that is the next disaster. None of us should be talking about anything else other than climate change, you know? Like, it should be climate change... And maybe football and strictly like those <laughs> maybe like somewhere between those three areas you the are the three things we should all be allowed to talk about, but we're stuck in a brexit quagmire, and whilst I don't necessarily enjoy talking about Boris Johnson, he is the prime minister, and amazingly yeah yeah it's, I mean no one voted for him, but he's the prime minister <laughs> I mean uh, to quote Ahir Shah from our own show in his segment that he did uh, in episode two. He was voted on by some dingbats from the home counties with an average age of ghost. (laughs) They elected him. I think if you're a political comedy show, largely you're going to spend your time talking about the government under any circumstances. But these are not any circumstances. These are a very specific set of circumstances where the prime minister of this country is essentially planning on breaking the law or is certainly not ruling out breaking the law. You know, the interview he gave with Laura Koonsberg in Luxembourg is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. One of my friends was talking about this yesterday. That he, you, you, Do you remember when Gordon Brown was Prime Minister and he called Gillian Duffy a bigoted woman, which was a huge public relations disaster? Boris Johnson 
does about five of them a day. <laughs> the man is absolutely scandal proof. And I, that is interesting to me. And it's funny to me that he just, he says things like, we are leaving on October the 31st. And then Laura Koonsberg says, but Parliament's passed a law. He says, we will obey the law, but we will leave on October the 31st. <laughs> she says, that's not, you can't, you know, if you leave on October the 31st, Parliament's passed legislation against that, you would be breaking the law. And he says, well, those are your words. And you go, what's, go- what's happening? What Kafka-esque nightmare are we trapped inside? It's such a strange and interesting time to be doing this sort of stuff. And how do you feel about that kind of slot that the MASH report is in, which is great when you're on, but when you're not on, there's basically nothing to watch. And yet in America, (laughs) there's loads of stuff on later. Well, I mean, the the thing that I would say about this thing, because obviously people always bring up the fact that there are American, so many American variations on this. The truth is that at the MASH, we are very lucky in that, you know, we're allowed to have a writer's room and we're budgeted for, you know, the BBC gives us good sized budget. They also committed when they commissioned the show, they committed to it being 10 episodes, which is an unusually big order for a first series in the UK. And the reason they did that is because they know the only way to do the show is just to do the show. We knew that the first four episodes were going to be tricky. We kind of learned how to do it in those first four episodes and then kind of hit the ground running in January 2018. That was when we sort of really started to work out how to do the show. And lots of the segments of the show that did very well online were in that first block and the reason i think that that first block resonated with people or did well is because we had the first four now that is a big commitment for a british broadcaster to make there simply isn't that much room in the budgets for that to happen it also feels like quite a diverse show you've got rachel paris and ellie taylor who mm. i knew before but a lot of people probably didn't know before yeah you've had a, a here you're talking about as well and that's got to be a good thing i know because in edinburgh tv festival you were talking about maybe a, a more of a, a radical approach needed by some of the tv bosses in terms of diversity and i guess male female i think that tv in the past has been a, a little bit behind where the comedy circuit is i mean for a long time the excuse for TV commissioners was that there weren't enough people of colour or there weren't enough women doing comedy. And if you go to Edinburgh now or you, you know, even if you just go to any comedy club night, you now see that that's not the case. And that is really starting to filter through. And from minute one, BBC Two commissioners and Chris Stott, who is the real kind of engine behind the MASH report, he's the executive producer, it's been his baby from sort of day one. Their buzzword has just been we want the funniest possible people. And historically, that phrase has been used to justify only having white men on something. They're like, well, look, these are, I'm afraid these are just the best of the best. But actually, you know, when you cast a wider net and you look beyond one type of person, you're talking about excellence that can be found in loads of other pockets in society. And for us, we really value the diversity of perspectives that we get from our correspondents just makes the comedy funnier and richer and more interesting and i include within that the most embattled minority of all jeff norcott (laughs) 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 i include conservative men last of a endangered species 
And your stand-up is so political and verbose and, and charged, but does that make it hard for you? Often people at your stage of your career might then go and do the one show or do, uh, <laughs> do what I like I to I was you. on the one show last week. <laughs> but I was on do the you one find show. it harder to do sort of mainstream? You know what I mean? That yeah, next. yeah, that's true. I mean, one of the things that I valued most in the last few years was doing Taskmaster, which I did in 2017. And I was doing Taskmaster in the run-up to doing the mass report and it, it is fun to sometimes just take a break and do something really stupid. I did a travel show with my friend Joel Domit for Comedy Central and it was really nice doing it because we were going all around the world and visiting these amazing tribes that live really physically and it was really nice to do something that was completely positive and celebratory because the purpose of the show was these people are incredible and we want to celebrate them. And the sort of comedy of the show is me and Domit being idiots. And it was really lovely to do something that was unambiguously positive. And I, listen, I love stupid, goofy, weird comedy as much as anyone else. But the sort of common thread in a lot of the comedians I watched growing up, I'm talking about people like Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Chris Morris. And then kind of as I grew up and started doing comedy, Stuart Lee, Bridget Christie... The cast of Goodness Gracious Me. One of the threads that runs through all of them is, I remember years ago hearing an interview with Chris Rock where he said he tries not to do, when he's putting a stand-up set together, he tries not to have any funny topics. And I remember hearing that going, that's why I like you. But, you know, ultimately, the MASH report is the job that I was dreaming of doing when I was a teenager. And so, for me it is the most satisfying thing to get to do. And the fact that people enjoy it is absolutely incredible. But is, and I cannot be clear enough about this, by the by, the most important thing is that I'm living my dream. <laughs> <laughs> just to end this, we just normally ask what you're watching at the moment, what TV? Oh, so I just watched State of the Union. That's great, isn't it? Uh, it was so, so good. It was really great. This has been a belting year for British television comedy, you know? And I'm not just talking about the MASH report, although obviously that's <laughs> a key factor. But I just mean, I remember a couple of years ago where people were going, we're just not producing good scripted comedy anymore. Like, we just, I don't know what we're doing. And this year you've got Fleabag, Derry Girls. I met Derry Girls, like the all of them. And I, let me tell you, there's not a lot of acting going on on that show. <laughs> they are pretty much as... They appear on screen. You just, I was standing in a room in Edinburgh at a charity gig and suddenly there was a wall of <laughs> noise. Yeah, just in front of me. And they were all calling me Nish Kumar, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> I mean, they're so great. Fleabag was so great. And then also over the summer, and I should declare an interest in this, in that these are two of my absolute favourite people in the world. But I do think objectively, This Way Up and the second series of Game Face were both just staggeringly brilliant pieces of television. I adore Ashling and Roisin. So in answer to your question, yes, I am watching TV. <laughs> and yes, I do feel very strongly about it. And you know what? I'm watching British television. And that just proves that Brexit was a great idea. We don't need <laughs> Europeans coming here. We don't need Le Fleabag, France. Okay? We don't need this way. Oop. <laughs> You can watch The Mash Report Thursdays at 10 o'clock on BBC Two. And of course, it's all up on the iPlayer as well. Let's get back to some more telly shows. 
And a show on Netflix that's been getting a lot of buzz. It's been out for a little while, but people are really talking about it now. Unbelievable. I found this quite difficult to watch. Jeffers, tell us a little bit more about it. It's been on Netflix since September the 13th, and it ties together a couple of rapes that happen in two parts of, of the States and how they have got sort of eerily similar details. Quite a brutal storyline, and it's based on a true story, based on events that happened in 2008. I've got to say, the first episode itself is a really hard watch. It's brilliant in the sense that it feels very realistic and very shocking, but it's also uh, goes into a great deal about one of the incidents, one of the sexual assaults. And for that reason, I think a lot of people may struggle to get into it. I tried to persevere. I watched the second episode, which was a bit less unsettling. And then once you're into it, I think it's really interesting, really well-made drama, but it is quite shocking. And uh, yeah, it's, it's obviously quite a difficult subject matter. What, what did you think about it? I found the first episode really difficult. And I think sometimes it, when we're talking about TV shows, people say, oh, but you know, see it as a whole series. Well, lots of people will only give it a few minutes of their time or maybe an hour and that's it. And it is very much the first episode is a young girl trying to tell someone that she's been raped, not being believed and going through a terrible process with unsympathetic detectives. And I found that a troubling message in 2019. Actually. It made me quite troubled to be a man, to be honest, even just watching it. And I know there's, you know, it's nothing to do with me and it's many years ago, but it, it's quite shocking in the sense that I can imagine that is exactly how it happened and maybe how it happens now sometimes when a woman goes to see police and it's, it's quite terrifying in that sense really the way she's treated. And if you compare it to Broadchurch with Julie Hesmontosh's story which was still really shocking and upsetting but they made, I don't know, they approached it in a different way that I felt was a bit more responsible so I had a few issues with that. I spun through it a bit to try and find the bit with Tony Collette because I just wanted to, I just couldn't bear to be watching it basically but I wanted to get to the bit where everyone was talking about and yeah Tony Collette is really good in it um, there's, there's a setup because these two different cases and two different female detectives working on them and then they end up as a sort of double act and they rub each other up the wrong way a little bit but you know it's not a kind of catty type of relationship they learn to work with each other and that I enjoyed but unfortunately you kind of have to have the beginning bit in order to get going with it and to, and to understand the premise of it but I'm not sure to be honest I'm going to be saying to my friends go and watch it it's unmissable I do think there's good stuff in it but what you have to watch to get there I'm not sure is worth it for me I would say personally it depends on the mood you're in um, if you're perhaps at a bad day at work or you're not feeling very good it's definitely not one to watch but perhaps if you're I don't know you fancy watching something quite challenging and as we say we're sort of flagging what it is like at the start if you can get through that first episode I should give a shout out to the actress um, which is Caitlin uh, Diva she plays Mary Adler who's this 18 year old She's had a lot of foster homes and she's the one who, who gets raped. She is really fantastic in, in all this. And if you can get through her ordeal in that first episode and move on to episodes two and three, it really is a strong drama. And then you've got Tony Collette um, and also um, Karen Duval, who, who are the two police detectives in this. And their work and, and them on screen is, is really strong and is really worth watching. OK, let's talk about something really quite different now, which is a new BBC One documentary, Junior Doctors on the Front Line. This is basically like all those fly in the wall medical shows like Ambulance, which was brilliant and acclaimed. Uh, and I think they're trying to sort of do a young person BBC Three version with junior doctors. What did you think about this, Jeffers? Yeah, this is very different from what we were just talking about. It's very light and easy to watch. Perhaps we'll uh, give you some faith in the NHS and sort of the people that are going there to work. It's six junior doctors um, at the Salford Rural Hospital and it's following their very first days on, on the beat. Um, Tuesday nights at 10.35, I should say, as well. And um, it's quite good. They've got quite a good mixture of characters in the sense they've got Sophia, who's a very sort of bubbly um, doctor. We see her playing badminton and sort of going out. 
And then we've got Zahed, who's a, who's a Muslim guy and is a bit more nervy. And, and we see sort of different aspects of his life. And then we see a guy called Luke, who's really lacking confidence. And we sort of follow them around a bit like 24 hours in A&E, that sort of style. And we see them learning on the job. In some ways, it feels good because we see these people who are giving their lives up to work for the NHS. On the other hand, we do see, see them make quite a few mistakes, don't we? And, and it's that, a bit troubling. It's a little bit off-putting. But I just thought... It's so they've tried to really BBC three this this kind of genre, and to me, I think that's almost a bit patronising. They have quite a long sequence about you know the stress of arriving at work for the first day. Oh, I forgot my pass and I got locked out, which all of us can relate to, and I suppose is good on one level. But I don't think that's the most interesting content you can come up with with this fascinating job. It was interesting that when you hear junior doctors, for me anyway, I just think of political issues and being overworked and all that kind of stuff. Whereas it wasn't really so much about that. It was about the challenges of having someone's life in your hands when you're learning, when you're a trainee. And I thought that was really interesting. I think quite a few people will watch it. But I do, I don't know, I was was troubled by the fact that they just kind of seem to be very savvy and aware of the cameras and painting a picture. Whereas, I don't know, some of the others feel grittier and more naturalistic. It did feel a little bit like a reality show or that maybe the doctors they'd managed to get to sign up had watched a lot of sort of Love Island and Big Brother in the way that they presented themselves on camera. Definitely that that was the case. And there was some stuff, for example, with Sophia at one point where she's doing a night shift and she was really overworked. She had about six things to do with two pairs of hands and, and she was attacked a little bit by a patient who was saying, I don't think there's enough staff on and was really critical of her. And she dealt with that really well. And I thought that scene was really interesting. I'd kind of like to see a little bit more of that, whether it's people complaining or a bit of jeopardy or or perhaps when they're really struggling. And it does look like in future episodes, there will be a little bit more of that. And perhaps this was just the the setup, I guess, introducing the characters. So I'd like it there to be a bit more nitty gritty. Like you said, it felt a little bit too polished, perhaps because it was for the BBC Three audience. It's got a bit of potential if you like those kind of medical docs, really. Now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us a must-see series. Last week, Mike Bushell chose a comedy, Alan Partridge's Mid-Morning Matters, which we all agreed was a pretty good choice. This week, it's the turn of star of Bodyguard and game face Nina Toussaint-White. Let's have a little listen to her choice. I'm Nina Toussaint-White and I'm here to tell you that my favourite box set stroke season is American Office. simply because Steve Carell is an absolute comedic genius. You say right on a silent but deadly, and then you expect me not to make farting noises with my mouth? What is this? Sit down. You know what, we're not gonna die of radon, we're gonna die of boredom. Yeah. <laughs> right? And if I had a gun with two bullets, and I was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden, and Toby, I would shoot Toby twice. No. Okay. You were All right. being really funny, and then you went too far. It's a great platform to lose yourself it's a great way of escaping you cry with laughter in every single episode hi linda dwight schrute assistant regional manager you might remember testing my urine a few years back when i was applying to be a volunteer sheriff's deputy we test a lot of urine mine was green oh right how are you i'm all better it's stupid it's silly it's fun and With all that, still, you invest in the characters, especially Pam and Jim. You have seven unheard messages. Hey, Jim, it's Pam. I keep looking up to say something to you, and then Michael's there, and it's horrible. Anyway, 
I'm bored. Come back. Hey, guess what? I moved my computer so I can't see Michael's head. It's working. I think I can have a career as a very specific type of decorator. <laughs> Sudoku, level moderate. Time, 18 minutes. Suck on that, Halpert. Um, I'm not going to give too much away, but you get to follow as their relationship develops. Watch it. It's fun. The American Office, that is such a great choice. I relate to this because I was such a big fan of the original Office. I just thought it was the most perfect thing I'd ever seen at that time. And when the American version came out, I was convinced it was sacrilege and I would hate it. And then I sat down to watch it. If you just ignore the first series, which takes some of the English one, it doesn't quite work. From then on, I actually think it is almost better. Just because you have so many more characters, so much more depth. My hero, Mindy Kaling, was part of the writer's room and is in it. I love her as Kelly Kapoor. And I just think it's actually brilliant. And although she mentioned Steve Carell, who is great, the version of the Tim and Dawn relationship, Jim and Pam, I think is is just as beautiful. And it's nice because you've got longer to explore it. What do you think, Jeffers? You're the expert on this one. I've not really watched this. I think on the base of your two recommendations I've got today, I'm going to watch some at the weekend, but um, it's on Amazon Prime over here at the moment. And it did run from 2005 to 2013, nine seasons. I mean, that's so much more than we got from, from Ricky this end. And I noticed the name of the company over there is the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like word suit- of hog, yeah. yeah, sounds suitably dodgy, doesn't it? And the guys you were talking about in the in the will they won't they were um, John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher, right? Yeah, and John Krasinski has obviously gone on to amazing things with Emily Blunt and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, definitely one to watch. And do not think that it's a betrayal to the English Office as I did for many years. Don't let yourself miss out. If you want to see more from Nina, she's starring in The Feed, which is a psychological thriller about our addiction to technology. It's an original commission for Virgin Media and available to Virgin subscribers. And there'll be another box set to watch before you die next week. That's almost it for this episode of Series Link. But hello to you guys that scrub through just to get to this point because we know it's the best bit. Jeffers. This is the time where you get your moment. We want to know what we should be keeping an eye out for, not just next week, but also next month and next year. Jeffers, start me off with next week. Next week, I'll give you two options, quite contrasting. You've got the BGT Champions of Champions final. That's not going to be for everyone's uh, cup of tea. a lot of outrage about that. The wrong people have gone through. Well, you've got that option or you've got a serious documentary series, The Met Policing London. This is a big BBC One series. It's the third one of it, actually. And... um, it's filmed all during 2018. There was a lot of big sort of violent crime on the streets. There was some protests over Trump coming over. They're going to have some footage of people being sort of thieving on mopeds. And it's, it's just going to be quite hard hitting. And I think that one's going to be worth a watch. What about next month? Next month, I'm super excited about this. Living With Yourself on Netflix, October the 18th. This is a big new TV series with Paul Rudd and Ashling B. The trailer's just come out. I think this looks really, really good. And it's going to make Ashling hopefully like a worldwide sort of superstar. But the, the trailer is basically all about Paul Rudd. He's a guy sort of burned out on life and he ends up somehow being able to create sort of a double of himself. And then it's about how he deals with having two of himself and one's sort of very happy and one's very burnt out. So I think it's, it's basically going to be a big comedy and I think it looks really good. Excellent. And what about next year? Next year, the BBC have just confirmed that Strike is yes. back for a fourth series. I mean, this rated really big. About 8 million people, I think, used to watch this. You've got Tom Burke as yes, Strike. my husband. Holiday Granger as Robin Ellicott, who's his sidekick. And this one, I think, is going to involve Robin going undercover in the House of Commons to try and solve something. And of course, if you haven't seen it, this is J.K. Rowling, Robert Galbraith adaptation. Good stuff. Right, brilliant. Thanks, Jeffers. 
That's all we've got time for, though. This has been the Series Linked podcast. We really hope you've enjoyed it. We have. And if you have, go on, leave us a five-star rating. Make this the week that you do us a favour. And if you give us a little review as well, we would love that. And make sure you've subscribed as well so that you can catch the next episode when it drops on Tuesday morning. For now, though, bye-bye. See you later. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.